Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Here he is with his entourage wearing the mucklucks and the winter coats, Dr. History. Good morning, and it is a little chilly out there. It's got a bite to it. It, it does. It yes. Does, yeah. I put a warmer blanket on my horse. <laughs> That's I good. did. You better keep one for yourself. I took the old ones. <laughs> you give the new ones to the horse. Uh, he gets the best. Uh, I can, yeah. Yeah. And my wife never lets me forget that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk about a trapper that I'm going to bet most people have never heard of. Feeble Flooster Budweiser. No, no, his name is Old Bill Williams. Old Bill Williams. I don't think I have. No, I hadn't until I oh. found this story. So he could be described as cantankerous, ornery, unwashed, and somewhat peculiar as a loner. Uh, anyway, so that's that. just keep that in mind as we talk about Old Bill Williams. Old Bill. Old Bill. So uh, back about then, uh, there was a Senator Thomas Benton who was a staunch believer in bringing as much Western territory as possible into the Union. Mm -hmm. And he promoted the concept of manifest destiny, which we're all familiar with. So the basic aim was to see the borders of the United States extend from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And he wanted roads surveyed uh, and open to help move settlers to these Western destinations. Mm -hmm. Now, funds were... uh, figured out to explore these new routes, the question then became, who would lead such a journey of exploration? So, Charles, John Charles Fremont, and you've heard of him. Oh, yeah, many times. Uh, He was ambitious, he was bright, he was a pretty good guy, and he had some army experience in mapping out wilderness territories. Now, 
here's where the kicker comes in. He, he knew his instruments. Fremont did not know his way around the mountains and the valleys of the West. Really? So this guy, they, they referred to him as the great pathfinder. We're talking about Bill. No, this is Fremont. Oh. Well, so well if, he couldn't Bill, fail, if he couldn't find his way around, how in the world do they call we're, him we're the gonna, great pathfinder? That's a good question. He needed a guide. Oh. All right. And there simply was no better place to look than among the old mountain men who knew by heart where the streams ran, the passes, where uh, the mountains, and among the trappers who had led him previously had been this old Bill Williams at one time, a guy named Joe Walker, Tom Fitzpatrick, and even Kit Carson. You did a story on Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I remember and Kit that. Carson. So yeah. he'd had some really good guides, and that's why he could be called the Pathfinder. Oh, yeah. So... Fremont carried out other expeditions, and uh, he was planning to seek the best route for a transcontinental railroad. They were trying to figure out where to run that railroad. Mm -hmm. So Fremont hoped to prove that rail traffic was practical to the West Coast the year-round, so he deliberately planned his journey for the bitter weather of midwinter, and he seems to have embarked from St. Louis with, with, uh, like this, without arranging for a competent guide. He got ready to go. Doesn't sound he didn't real have a smart. Guide. Really? Okay. And this is Fremont. This is Fremont. Well, when he reached Fort Bent uh, in Colorado, Fremont met Thomas Fitzpatrick, who had been a previous guide. Well, Fitzpatrick thought it was just a dumb, foolish idea to try crossing those mountains in the wintertime. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So... Uh, anyway, so it's November. Usually early snows are coming. There's always a foot of snow covering the ground. It was not a good time to be exploring into those mountains. Well, you can't blame them. No. So he knew. Well, Fremont's group arrived at Pueblo, where they found a handful of mountain men that were already settled in for the winter. I see. So here's where he's going to try to talk somebody into Here being comes old his dirty guy. Bill. So among the mountain men at Pueblo was old Bill Williams. Fremont finally talked old Bill into serving as his scout. Uh Now, old Bill did not think it would be easy. In fact, he thought it was going to be extremely difficult. But old Bill Williams did not fancy sitting around all winter doing nothing. Uh, But as things turned out, he would have been better off to hole out and keep his feet to the fire. Really? And you'll see why. Okay, here we go. So old Bill traced his origins. We're going to go back and talk about his earlier life, okay, before we finish about his jaunt with Fremont. So Williams traced his origins back to Rutherford County, North Carolina, where he was uh, uh, born in a log cabin in 1787. Oh, my. Way back, you know. So he was born into a devout family. His mother taught him from books and especially about the Bible. Very, very strongly. So when young old Bill was seven years old, his parents sold their sizable farm and headed west. The family settled only five miles from the Missouri River, and the Williams boys continued their education as back then with hunting, fishing, trapping, woodsman stuff, you know, yeah. learning how to be out in the wild, yeah. in the woods. Mm-hmm. Well, he had soaked up so much of the biblical message that he discovered he had a calling. While still in his teens, he announced himself as Parson Williams. I see. Okay. 
and performing the duties of an old-time Baptist circuit rider, he began traveling from one community to the next on an old bony mule, spreading the promise of heaven and the threat of hell, uh, taking his pay in chickens, vegetables, mule feed, <laughs> or whatever other goods the country folks might spare. And he now and then he just lived off the land. Really? So he was a... You remember I talked about sky pilots a, year, yeah, I do. a long time ago? Yeah. And that's what he was. A, really? A sky pilot, a, a, a traveling minister, yeah. a parson. Well, William's preaching led him farther and farther from home until he came into a village of Osage Indians. Now, the life of the Indians appealed so deeply that Williams began mixing elements of Christianity and Osage ceremony to create kind of his own religion. Uh-oh. Started mixing and matching oh as my. he felt. Yeah. So early missionaries coming west to convert the Indians employed him as an interpreter, but they could never be 100% certain that Bill was relaying to the natives precisely their interpretation of the Bible. So Dirty Bill was maybe creating maybe, problems. Maybe stretching a little of what the missionaries were teaching to the Indians. I see. Well, eventually, Williams rode the 200 miles back to the family farm to break the news to his parents that he had joined the Osage tribe. He took an Osage wife and later, in the tradition of the tribe, another wife or two, which uh, did little to redeem him in the eyes of the missionaries. Yeah, right. They kind of frowned on that. Didn't like that. Yeah. Well, Williams obtained a permit and established a post to trade among the Osage people on the Grand River in South Dakota. Uh, It's near the Missouri River, but uh, later he became a free trapper on Clark's Fork in Montana. So he went from being a parson to a traveling minister to an interpreter to now he's a free trapper up in Montana. I see. Okay. Is he still married? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But old Bill was about... To all three. Uh, or more. Uh, <laughs> we don't know. Okay. Old Bill was about as well known as any trapper in the mountains. And to put the matter gently, he was known as a character. Uh, the terms eccentric and lunatic could be thrown in the mix of uh, about Old Bill. Really? Okay. So you kind of got this picture of this guy a yeah. little bit. Okay. Kind of a bearded, wild-haired, yeah. uh, well, uh, frizzy-haired. He was tall. Yeah. He was gaunt. Yeah. Leathery skin, a red beard. Oh, my. Shoulder-length red hair. Oh, my. Decked out in beads and feathers because he was a member of the Osage tribe. Yeah. Uh, he possessed tremendous energy and stamina. He ranked among the most skilled of all mountain men in the essential skills needed to travel, trap, and stay alive. Wow. Okay? So he was, he knew what he was doing. He was a good mountain man. Now, his secret for dealing with the Indians was to avoid being seen. And in the pursuit of this aim, he became expert at traveling and setting his traps at night. Didn't that make sense? Yeah. He slept in his canoe whenever possible, tying it in the willows by a 20-foot length of rawhide so he could easily cut loose and drift silently downstream in case of trouble. Really? And that's kind of smart, right? Yeah. Have you ever tried to sleep in a canoe? (laughs) No, I haven't. Don't turn over. (laughs) Don't move. So floating downstream after dark, he watched for signs of beaver. He would set his traps and check them again at the first sight of dawn. And he collected and skinned his catch and was again tied up out of sight when full light came. So he just avoided the Indians. That was his philosophy. 
Well, furthermore, he uh, fired his gun as little as possible, often choosing to eat beaver, especially the tail Ooh. and liver. I know, I know that sounds really good. Oh, so yeah. close to lunch. Too. So uh, rather than risk discovery by shooting a buffalo or a deer. He would eat what he caught. Yeah, you know the. the, the what about his wives? Well, they're back at the the uh, with the tribe. He he left them long enough to go. Oh. I don't know. He might have taken one with. Nice him. guy. Yeah, he might have taken somebody with him, yeah. but yeah. he was kind of a loner. So, now, it wasn't that old Bill was scared to fight. He was known as an excellent companion in a tight spot. When need be, he went on the attack and fight, fought like a demon, so they say. Really? Uh, he was an excellent marksman, great shot. So, old Bill Williams, in spite of all precautions, had his share of encounters with hostile Indians, mm-hmm. including the warlike Apaches that he met while trapping. trapping on the, Is that something new I hadn't... Trapping. Uh, trapping. I see with an L. It's new Trapping word, new on, the, on the Gila River. <laughs> he was off far from any help one day when a band of Apaches overwhelmed him took his gun, Uh-oh. knife, Uh-oh. and tomahawk, Uh-oh. as well as all of his possessions. Finally, they began stripping his clothing. Uh-oh. He was then given permission to set off through the cactus, which he promptly did. Oh. It was a long way back through valleys and over mountains. Oh. He limped for 160 miles. Really? Or so until some Zuni Indians discovered him. Well, these Indians treated him much better than the Apaches had. They outfitted him and sent him on his way. And after traveling a total of maybe 200 miles, he made his way back to Taos. No kidding. Yeah. He's barefoot and everything out there? Yeah. And just, you know, he probably could find streams to drink. But what would you eat? You know, I mean. Well, you you tell me. You've got the story. (laughs) Well, you remember Hugh Glass? He'd he'd find, uh, you know, like buffalo that he could gnaw on the bones. And, you know, so anyway. So it said that old Bill arrived at rendezvous well supplied with packs of beaver taken from secret trapping grounds. They never told where they trapped. He would sell his furs, spend all the revenue on drink and gambling, then head back for the hills, a free man, and nothing more would be seen or heard of him for months. Yeah, I'm going to go back and say it again. The poor wives. <laughs> yeah. Well... At other times, he would travel with a party of trappers or a single partner and sometimes take time to guide a party, needing the assistance of an expert. And as the beaver business kind of wound down in the late 1830s, the mountain man felt the need to seek other sources of revenue. Mm -hmm. And you're going to like this. One such business was rounding up and selling Spanish horses Mm -hmm. that, although seemingly abandoned, did not really belong to him. I see. Oh, okay. I see. Old Bill Williams proved to be an expert leader in acquiring and moving horses. So he was putting halters on horses that perhaps didn't belong to him. Well, you, I didn't say that, but you, you got, intimated the thought. Uh, yes, but he was good at it. I see. <laughs> <laughs> he was good at it. So he helped organize one of the largest of all horse raids in the spring of 1840 when a mixed bag of trappers, friendly Indians, and others under his leadership descended on the missions of Southern California. By the time they headed back east across the desert, they had gathered some 3,000 horses, and they were headed for Bent's Fort. Oh, my. 
Well, the Californians weren't happy with that. Uh, well, can you imagine? They staged an organized pursuit. They cut out and recovered maybe about half the horses, but the raiders still arrived with a considerable supply, maybe 1,500 horses, and there was always a market. So he made a little money doing that. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, Williams was a, a distant traveler, always ready to go, and uh, so he, he put his moccasins on uh, and ready to, to go with uh, Fremont. Uh, he was sensible, and he figured that the best way to deal with trouble was to avoid it, and he had a neck for sensing hazardous situations ahead of time. But in the winter of 1848, his system broke down. Oh, no. He kind of went against one of his rules. I see. So when Captain Fremont arrived at the, at the Pueblo, old Bill, although he had strong reservations and was against all the advice of his fellow trappers, he agreed to guide Fremont uh, on what was believed to be kind of an impossible adventure. Okay. So... Picture this. You got 33 men, their long line of pack animals. They crossed, crossed what they call the Sangre de Cristos Mountains in south-central Colorado and headed toward the Rio Grande. Well, Fremont turned up that river, then swung straight into the Lagarita Mountains. And with old Bill Williams advising against it all the way, Fremont had a bad case of mindset. He wanted to go. He was not going to change his mind. Yeah. So uh, he welcomed the difficult and maybe perhaps reasoning that the bigger the challenge, the greater the glory, not really thinking things out. So Fremont was a nut. He was. Yeah. He didn't listen to his guys. Yeah. Okay. So when old Bill questioned whether or not they could make it over the mountains by the route Fremont insisted on following, Fremont sent him to the back of the line replacing him with another guide who did not know the mountains. Basically, he fired old Bill. Really? So you go back to the end of the back of the line here. I'm going to use this other guy. That didn't know the that mountains. That didn't know the mountains. So snow piled up in the valleys. It was so deep that the men had to lead their horses along the steep slopes. Temperatures fell so low, the thermometer could not even record them. Horses and mules slipped, rolled down the hill, and were lost. Snow blindness struck them. Hands and feet were froze. I mean, can you imagine this? No, I, mean, it's I just, don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I've been in the mountains on horses, oh, you know, hunting and yeah. in maybe two feet of snow. But, you know, we were dressed right and we had food. We yeah. had, you know, everything we needed. So... Well, eventually, uh, they start, the horses starved, then the travelers, they began to fall. Men removed their boots and ate them, replacing them. Wait, with, whoa, whoa, whoa. Removed their boots and yeah. ate the boots? Yeah. And they didn't have anything on their feet? No, no. Well, no, they replaced them with strips of blanket from their horses, horse blankets oh wrapped around their feet. goodness. They sakes. ate their knife sheaths. And other items of leather, you know, sometimes what they would do is they would boil the yeah. leather and eat the leather and drink the broth or whatever. Well, the survivors eventually made it into Taos. Uh, behind them in the mountains, they had left all the party's scientific equipment, as well as 11 of their men dead from starvation, cold, and exhaustion. Well, this disaster was perhaps the worst ever suffered by a party guided by a mountain man. and They'd uh, never been there. Right. And poor old Bill, 
you know, against everything he thought, but he was fired. You know, well, he, why did he stay with the group? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess just to try to help him out, maybe. Oh, but, so the survivors, all in pitiful condition, were hardly safe before Colonel Fremont began shifting the blame off his own sho- shoulders. He found his scapegoat in old Bill Williams, claiming that the old trapper was the root of his trouble, the cause of the loss of human life, and the reason that the great Pathfinder had failed in his expedition. He was blaming old Bill. Well, about the only thing that could be said for the expedition was that it proved that up and over the two-mile-high Lagaritas Mountains, it was not the route for the railroad to go. That's the only, That's thing, the only thing that came oh, out Oh, my of goodness sake. So... Anyway, once in Taos, old Bill, now 62 years old, uh, regained his strength, and by March, he and the expedition's physician, Dr. Benjamin J. Kern, were ready to go back into the mountains and recover the equipment and materials the party had abandoned. They were accompanied by a crew of Mexican helpers. Shortly after finding the equipment and starting back, they were both shot and killed Maybe by Ute Indians, but nobody knows for sure. Oh, my. So old Bill Williams shaped his own image. An orthodox trapper. He was a suburb mountain man. Never stole horses, sort of, when it seemed improper. (laughs) (laughs) And except perhaps for signing on with John Charles Fremont, rarely made a mistake in judgment. He was proud of his skills as a trapper and a woodsman. So... He was a pretty good guy. Who was the, uh, quickly, I only got 30 seconds, but who was the guy? They never named him, did no. they? Uh, obviously, no one that uh, of any fame. Yeah, you know? really. Well, when you don't know anything about the area. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so why Fremont decided to, anyway, who knows what, what he was thinking during this whole thing. Now, that I had never heard of him. I had not either. Thank you very yeah. much, Dr. History. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.